Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christopherson. Gentlemen, the season is inching closer, and we uh, we feel like we know a few things about this Nebraska football team, and there's still quite a bit that we don't know. And so, utilizing your wealth of knowledge, the two of you, we're going to run through every position room and one of you is going to tell us things that we know and the other of you is going to tell us things that we are still needing to learn about this specific position group and to make it easy we'll just start right away on offense with the quarterback and Brian Christopherson what do we know about Nebraska's quarterback room for 2023 uh we know that Matt Rule um, really believes um, to a high degree in Jeff Sims. Like, I, I don't think it's it's uh, just trying to pump him up in the offseason. Like, even last night on his his radio show when he was talking about guys on his roster that he wouldn't have want to defend against, uh, Sims was the first name that came up. We know that Sims from what coaches have said, did pretty good with the ball security. And even though he started slow in fall camp uh, with the completion percentage, he built it up where he, by the end of this camp closing, was around that 65% mark. That's what Satterfield said the other day. So, I mean, that that's good stuff. And you have to think it's advantageous that he's gone against a, a defense that Tony White has that's just going to throw all sorts of stuff into your brain you know with coverages and alignments and things like that that you have to process so you're hoping that all has its payoff next thursday but um you know without a doubt he was qb1 after uh, casey thompson left and um we can get to bruns can handle the what we don't know which probably falls on the next guys in line all right well bc set it up for you bruns knock it out of the park yeah so we it the you got the it depends the, the the dreaded or with the backups with Harburg and uh, and Purdy um, you know Matt Rule said it was situational if they needed to run a little bit more it's probably Harburg if they need to throw a little bit it's probably Purdy so that I mean the the depth chart when it comes out if if there's not an or I would consider that a big upset so we we don't know who that person is. Um, Matt Rule doesn't want to have to find out, I don't think. And, uh, you know, I, I think that probably just speaks to how close those two are in their in their competition because neither is a, a, a perfect quarterback. And, you know, I think Nebraska is going to have to kind of wallpaper over uh, a few deficiencies if they ever have to go to uh, number two, whoever that might be. Well, chances are that they, uh, that they will. I mean, is there – from from what you guys have sussed out throughout spring and now in fall camp, is there one that you think you would feel more strongly about seeing if Nebraska has to go to a backup quarterback, Brunts? No, uh, <laughs> I mean I, I I that's why I I want to I want to say of all the guys that left in the offseason, Logan Smothers leaving was probably a, a big loss just because you you lose that experience and a guy that I. I think can make things work, but um, I don't know. I mean, you know, we saw a little bit of trouble pretty last year in a, in a very imperfect situations. Um, you know, the, we the saw more than a little bit. It was a multi-game starter. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just, they played to, those I, games. They count. I've been trying to forget most of what happened um, towards the end of last season, but no, I, 
I don't know. I mean, I you've seen a little bit what he can do. I mean, they, they like what he's done in the spring. Um, you know, they've been doing. They said he's been doing the right things. He's improved uh, during the open periods that we've seen. Um, it, it's looked kind of similar to maybe what we saw last year at times. And you know, with Harburg, you just don't know. I mean, we haven't seen him in a game. Um, you know, it's been a long time since he's played in a in a foot a meaningful football game, but. You know, I think he probably can do the stuff in the running game that they want. So it, it's not ideal. I mean, I, I think a lot of programs around the country face that with a backup quarterback, but I, I just don't know. There's just not a great answer behind Sims right now, and, and his health will continue to be one of the main storylines of the season, I think. PC, is it possible the Nebraska quarterback situation could look better if Nebraska's offense wasn't reliant on its quarterback to be Superman every year? Yeah, I was just thinking that, actually. Um, we were on the same page because it, it needs to get to that point where it's it, it's not just like uh, it's every we're pressing the emergency uh, red button just because the the backups in because you trust that you can hand the ball to the tailback and you can go get four yards here, four yards there, put yourself in manageable um, situations, which any college quarterback could take advantage of. So that's what they've got to get to. That's what I'm most will work to the O-line here in this discussion, but that's what I'm most interested in eight days, seven days from now when we, whenever the pod is, it comes out is that uh, what's that O-line look and is there like a, like okay, they've they're ready to slug it out with some people and and be that as that really good assisting partner to the QB. All right, let's move on to running back. We will start Michael Brunch. What do we know about Nebraska's running backs in twenty twenty three? We know that Anthony Grant has some fumbling issues, which um, you know currently have him further down the depth chart than maybe what his skill set would suggest. Uh, Matt Rule said that. Gabe Irvin was the clear number one heading into the season. Ramir Johnson is your third down back and kind of your change of pace guy. So they can work with that, I think. Um, you know, they also like what Emmett Johnson can potentially do as, as you know, maybe a split out guy if they need to. But, um, you know, when when you listen to Matt Rule since he's been here, it's been all about Gabe Irvin and what he does and what they like about him and, He's going to get the first crack at things, and if if they if they feel like they can trust um, Anthony Grant, I think that puts him more in the conversation. They have a, a nice one-two punch there. But um, I, I was a little surprised, I guess, that on Saturday um, that Matt Rule was as clear and 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 uh, straightforward with his answer about the running back pecking order as he was. BC, what do we still need to learn about these running backs? What Gabe Irvin looks like when he's fully healthy as like an experienced college player. I mean, I think there's some skepticism from the fan base because we just haven't had an opportunity yet to see him um, full speed, really, you know, since that injury his freshman year. I feel like he had been working his way back all the way up until this offseason. And so – you know, you give the benefit of the doubt to the coaches here that have seen every practice and watched a guy who does have his feet under him now and has a lot of confidence. And man, he looks the part. There's no doubt about that. When Gabe Irvin stands up at the microphone, you're like, that's that's exactly how you want a Big Ten running back to look. And there's some footage of him, you know, 
busting through two or three arm tackles that are out there from the practices. So that's encouraging stuff. Um, but we just don't know yet until we actually see who's the gamer of the crew, right? Because that's the thing. There's guys who have some years piled up, but nobody who's really had that track record where they've been the guy, I guess Anthony Grant to a degree last year, but you know, there's doubts about him, but everybody else you're kind of, um, what's this guy look like if he's RB one for 12 games, actually, what's that picture like? I think Ramirez is a nice safety net, though. I really do, because I always think he can come in and give you a little burst. And I was talking with Brunts about this at practice the other day. I It's interesting, the first games at Minnesota, because I remember when Ramirez was sort of running toward the running back, the top job was actually at Minnesota a couple of years ago, and he suffered a concussion when he was playing really well while running inside the a play inside the 10 yard line. And then people right, might remember a few plays later was the slip by Yant on the one. Um, they well, probably got two plays before the concussion. He makes a move on that guy on the sideline. He just scores, but he kind of gets corralled out of bounds. Yeah. Like that, that's the difference between Nebraska winning and losing so many games. Right. But I bring, I bring it up because I think Ramir, th- that's when he was really trending toward like, man, this is the, best running back they got and it it sort of that sort of got in his way a little bit and he's always been trying to come back from that just like Gabe Irvin's trying to come back from that injury at Oklahoma so both those guys um, have had their times when it looked like it was their moment and uh, it didn't happen that way and and now we actually someone's going to actually be able to grab that moment this year and and hopefully be that guy who can he get those two extra yards after contact? That's going to be the biggest deal. Can you be that back who turns three yard runs into five yard runs? You know, it, it's August and August. It's Wednesday and we're recording this. It's eight days away from Nebraska's first game. And I think it's uh, the Big Ten Network had like an Amir Abdullah highlight thing going around on social media. And I just, rec- I, I'm watching that and I'm just thinking like, it's been so long since Nebraska's had a running back anywhere near that level. And it just stuns me because my entire life with this team has just been like great running back after great running back after great running back. This could be an entire podcast, Brunts, but could you sum up quickly how Nebraska ends up in this long drought of just relatively unimpactful running backs slash one nice eight-game stretch of Divine Nozigbo? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's they've had trouble keeping guys around. I think guys haven't developed the way that they would have liked. I don't know that Nebraska's done a great job at that position in recent years of developing running backs. Um, I, I personally think it's it's also been a use issue. Like there, there's over multiple coaching staffs and multiple running backs coaches. Some of the rotations. And, dis- and personnel decisions kind of leave you scratching your head a little bit at times. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's just one thing. I mean, certainly Nebraska's uneven offensive line play through that that also that time hasn't helped either. But I mean that that you put all that in a, a cake pan, you throw it in the oven, and that's how you end up having to rely on Adrian Martinez so much, or Jeff Sims so much, or uh, you know whoever the quarterback is. So. Uh, we'll see if they can kind of buck that trend, but I mean, we're going on what almost eight years. Yeah, How, since yeah. since Amir Abdullah left, I mean, it's been that long. Yeah. Uh, the perfect example of what a 
a top tier running back, how it just changes everything. And we always knocked the O line in past years, but Amir made that was an okay O line, but he made them look a lot better. And I always I always bring up the Miami game from 2014. If you want an example of a game afterward, you're looking at the stats, you're like, oh man, they're just pounding it down Miami's throat and all this stuff. You go back and watch it, you're like, that's a brilliant running back making plays out of nothing on some of those where it's seven yards when it would have been nothing for a lot of guys. And so that's, that's what you're searching for. Um, they think they got something there though. That's the thing. I mean, they yeah. rule rule has been bullish on the running yeah. backs since the spring and he has not backed away from that. So um, you got to have an open mind about it. Cause they really are confident. I think in that position, I feel like that last was, directed directly at me you gotta have no. an open mind about it no it wasn't i, I look I, I think, i'll be the first to admit i'm incredibly skeptical of this running back room but it wasn't will, directed uh, at you i think you're projecting what it, well it could have been directed at me or the general public which one did you want to direct <laughs> i don't know i i i think there's some uh, there's deserved skepticism about the run game as a whole until you see it with your own eyes so why, why would you blame anybody for having that after yeah. what we've watched? Speaking of skeptical, let's move on to the wide receiver room. Brian Christopherson, what do we know about Nebraska's wide receivers in 2023? Well, uh, Billy Kemp is like, argue, behind Jeff Sims, is like as important as anybody on this roster. Um, he's going to be the punt returner as well, and they're pretty excited about that, it seems like. But I just think he's going to have a high volume of catches this year. Um, it sounds like he's he's tearing it up. He's he's a huge portal addition, not only because of what he can bring on game days, but I think as they're trying to get those freshmen up to speed, where maybe you see them start to pop up a month as this we get a month or so into the season. Um, he's the guy who's that peer tutor who's very useful to them. So um, camp is the thing I feel really good about. I I feel um, everything else is a wild card, which goes to what Bruns has to answer, I guess. But th there's not a lot of things I, I just am definitive on, except the fact that I think Billy Kemp's going to be really good and trusted a lot. All right, Bruns, you have your PowerPoint ready. What do we not know about Nebraska's wide receivers? Yeah, sit down. Um, we we don't know a lot. Um, we we know we know Kemp. We don't know who, but what, what like the rotation looks like or, or if that rotation can be productive. And, you know, certainly Xavier Betts, we've talked about that a ton, but him leaving is another question mark for this group, at least just not having somebody that you know is athletic, uh, the, type, the type of guy that can go and just get open. Um, you know, Marcus Washington's health, he's back, uh, Marcus Satterfield said, but, you know, you, you'd like to be able to rely on him. Uh, I think just his presence makes that room look so much better. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, it, it, it's going to be kind of a mishmash. You're going to have freshmen that need to step up, even though Matt Rule says they don't. I mean, I, I think it kind of becomes a little bit of a just a body count issue. I mean, you, you need somebody that can, you know, beat, beat a Big Ten defense deep. And I think it's got to come from probably that freshman group. Um, you know, they, they like Alex Bullock and, and what he can do. I think he's going to be in that mix. Ty Hahn might factor there too. But um, again, this this group probably more than any has been a concern for the staff pretty much since they got here. 
I don't know that much has happened this this during fall camp to alleviate that. I mean, I, I think it's it's going to have to be a group that's going to show it on the field and and prove that they can get open. So uh, we'll see. But um, you know, from what Matt Rule has said, I'm, I'm not expecting them to air it out a ton to the wide receivers that first week against Minnesota. I mean, I think it's going to be a grown man game with a lot of uh, between the tackle stuff and guys on the edge having to block. So we'll, we'll see, but um, I, I don't know that we've learned a ton about what that group can be or what they can do this fall. I, you know, they're, they're being cautiously optimistic, but I, I don't think that there's a ton of confidence over in the walls in North stadium about that group either. And I, and I'll say this too. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the staff's fault. I mean, that that's a position group that really has needed to, to be been re, rebuilt from the foundation and, you know, that they're, they're kind of paying the price for, again, you know, almost a decade of just not being able to develop that position or, or keep guys around. Absolutely. Do we, BT, do we sometimes make a little bit too much of Nebraska's wide receiver situation? Especially if you look at how other teams in the Big Ten West have made made the Big Ten championship game, and we often can't name their twos and threes at wide receiver. As long as you have one guy, it seems like that's what you sort of need in the Big Ten West. Now, um, this isn't, you know, Purdue doesn't fit this yeah. example necessarily, but your Iowas and your Wisconsins and your Minnesotas and your Illinois. How often are we talking about their number twos and three wide receiver? Not as much. I mean, some of those are just bad offenses too. A couple, which of them. I think is what Nebraska might just be. Well, I think it possibly. I mean, a lot of this comes back to the run game too. If if the run game is up to snuff, we're we're less worried about like who's the third or fourth guy. I think the ultimate wild card in this conversation is uh, a guy like Garcia Castaneda, who. Yeah, no, I I just think that if he, um, if he, Schaefer <laughs> shaking his head, you <laughs> you let us down in what we don't know. Personally. I know. I well, I I don't know because I didn't mention him. Sorry. <laughs> I I always think of the the opener in Dublin though when he it was actually the play where he fumbled it and he was juking like three guys before he fumbled it and people say he's down but he he's kind of a fascinating guy in space from what we've seen and so. He's a he's the player where if, if they can get him some like maybe it's a, a short pass completion and then what can you do with it sort of guy, I, I'll be pretty entertained to see if if that takes off. And I think Bullock um is it seems like Bullock's gonna play a decent amount right off the bat as much as we've heard of, of him. So, you know, if if you get a guy or two like that to pop while the freshmen are kind of growing behind the scenes, it's not as bad a situation. Um, and of course, if you have a run game, then um, then it's just a nice compliment when you have that that guy who can take the top off a of defense. You do need it, though. And they, so it, they've got to find a, somebody who can make that that 55 yard house call on occasion. This is a fun one. Michael Brunch, what do we know about Nebraska's tight ends in 2023? Uh, it, it's a big group um, and we we don't know a ton. I mean, I think. I think Borkatcher is going to be a guy that they're going to lean on. Um, we know that Thomas Fedoni is still practicing. That's a significant thing at this point in fall camp. Um, and, and, but beyond that, I mean, I, I think we know that Nebraska is going to lean on that group a lot. I mean, to your conversation about, you know, other Big Ten West teams, 
you might not have been able to name the third wide receiver, but you sure as hell could name the the you know top tight end or a guy that was kind of filling that role. So I, I think they like the potential of that group. Um, you know, I, I think there's a ton of athletes, but you know, there's still question marks. Um, you know, Gilbert's waivers there. Um, Brian can get into that too, but um, it seems like a, a group with a high ceiling and a, kind of a medium floor right now. All right, Brian, take it away. Yeah, we don't know if they'll have Gilbert. I've been sort of, I don't know, at this point, I'm sort of under the impression you don't have them until you, you hear otherwise. So, and I think they've proceeded that way um, through August, which, uh, as, as rule stated, is a disappointing deal if that's how it comes out. Um, I think you're, if, okay, so let's say he's not part of the, the equation i think then there is curiosity about sort of who the third and fourth guys are there as much as they're going to use the tight end in this offense bonner is um definitely an interesting figure um who was all the talk of spring and i don't think it means anything that we didn't hear as much about him this fall it's just a deal where sometimes he just doesn't get asked about and so people act you know kind of think like oh he's not doing well i don't think that's the case because satterfield said they're going to use him he's going to matter um, but a guy like that's going to be, you, you need sort of that other guy that n- not everybody's always talking about to pop and, and maybe a, one other young guy comes along. I know they like some of the, 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 you know, like a Apple get or somebody pops in in the middle of the season. But, um, the thing we don't know is, uh, the durability thing too. Like you, can you get through the full season with those top two guys, Fedoni and, um, Borkercher, cause you, you kind of need to, um, you, or you need them for most of the way. And, um, what we don't know is what Thomas Fedoni actually looks like as a college tight end. You know, that's like, we, we have oh, ideas, wow. our imaginations dance. And I think, um, it's clear that he's a worker. I mean, it's clear of the way they talk about him that he gives you everything, but, um, he's only played like three or four college snaps, I think so far. So, uh, it's going to be like his first game out there, which is so weird to think about. Michael Brunt, true or false. Janiron Bonner is actually just a younger version of Chancellor Brewington. Uh, I, it's a good comp. I think he's, he's put together a little bit differently. Like, I, I think they're, like they're pretty use... body structure wise though. Yeah. But like Bonner's bigger, like he, like er, bigger than early because Brewington was really small and he yeah. kind of bulked up. But I mean, to, to give you an idea of how they're going to use Bonner, I mean, it, it, the little small look that we got at practice one week, he was doing like running run blocking drills with the fullbacks. And they're like, Hey, we need you with the tight ends. So they took him outside and he was running routes with the tight ends. And then they had him running routes with wide receivers. So I think if people have this idea in their head of him being like a traditional fullback, that's yeah. not what he's going to be doing. Um, but he's going to be a big piece of the offense. And I think he's going to be more involved than what Brewington was. It felt like for Brewington, it was like very specific packages. Obviously the, the, the player where he would come running down the line and like blow up an outside linebacker. That was his, uh, his, uh, wheelhouse. But I mean, Bonner's going to be a lot bigger piece of the offense. 
I just want to make sure that when a tight end goes in motion, the press box collectively holds its breath. Because that was, yeah, like for two years, that became like the sort of most exciting thing that was happening up there. So, I mean, if that says you, something, you start you, doing the meme of the guy rubbing his hands together when he does that. Yeah. All right. We are 24 minutes in, and we are to what everyone wants to always talk about. Who uh, who had it last time? All right. Brian Christofferson, what do we know? What do we know about Nebraska's offensive line in 2023? Um, I think we know the starting five, um, which is, um, you know, you have your Corcoran on your left tackle. You have Ethan Piper, left guard, Scott center, uh, Nuri at right guard, um, Ben Hart at right tackle. Um, we know that Prohaska's back as of Tuesday at practice. But it's I feel like there's got to be a little build up there because he really hasn't been able to practice. So people and 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 they need they need to go back to that line rule always says like Corcoran's the left tackle I've always known. So I mean that's the way it is right now. And it, and honestly, if it goes like Husker fans would hope the first couple of weeks, you're not having a conversation like in week three or four about um switching this around or that. You're just talking about who's the sixth, seventh, eighth guy. Um, I think that's the part which Bruns can get to, which we don't know. Um, but I do think Ben Scott has fit right in. And I am pretty confident in how that's going to look at center. I, that's one of the things I feel really good about. And um, if if you want to say, hey, pull the, pour the glass half full of Kool-Aid for me, I would always point to Scott and Nuri, who wasn't here last year, available last year being part of the equation on the interior. And I, I think if, if they're as good as their potential, um, that does change the look of the O-line in a big way. That's 40% of what you got. All right. Brunts, what do we still need to learn about Nebraska's offensive line? Everything. We uh, need to learn everything. Brian's right. That's that's the cast of characters. We, we know that. But – what we don't know, it's it's been a lot of narrative building since the start of Matt Rule's tenure, right? It's the lots of the struggles last year were not the offensive line's fault. Um, continuity is going to help that group. Um, you know, the, the guys being a few of those guys being NFL type players. I mean, uh, that group more than any on the roster is, is, is such a show me group. And I get asked all the time, well, is the offensive line going to be any better? I don't know. And we're not going to know until, until you just gotta be, you gotta be comfortable with that, that answer for another nine days because. Uh, It's more than nine days. days. We won't really know for a month. No, but at least you'll get a, you got a data point at least by that. Sure. Yeah. Um, So, We'll see. I mean, I, I that's a group that has to be better. Um, and the question is, is whether or not this coaching staff plus uh, year two of Donovan Rayola can get more out of that same group than what they have the last couple of years. Because, uh, you know, for the most part, it's the same crew. And uh, that that's going to be the question that we just don't know and we won't know until we actually see real live football being played against another team. Brunts, have you... Do you think throughout college football history there's been a fan base less enthusiastic about seven guys with starting experience that are available to play along the offensive line? 
Uh, that that seems to get lost. That you do have a very experienced group. I I don't know if you guys saw the. There's not the, a more experienced group on this team. No, maybe 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 linebacker, but I don't think it's. I don't I don't think so. Did you guys have you guys watched the third installment of the uh, the behind the scenes show? There's a, there's a scene where basically Rule has the whole offense line up, and then you've got you've got your starting eleven on offense, and then he asks the guys who are seniors minus the COVID years to leave the picture. And at offensive line, it's pretty much everybody minus Corcoran that that got out of the picture. So, I mean, I, I think most years you'd feel pretty good about a group like that that's got, you know, multiple multi-year starters. Um, but again, that that's why it's it's we just don't know because you you know who they are. You kind of have an idea of what they've been, but you're 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 betting on that ceiling being higher than than what it's been, and then being able to reach it. So I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I, I think the experience helps, but you know, I I think also with that group, we don't know if having you know good cohesion between how they're going to coach offensive line and what they're going to ask those guys to do and the guy calling plays, if that's going to help too. Because that I mean that that's that's was such a huge piece of it last year and just making it look really really bad. PT, any other offensive line thoughts you'd like to get out there? No, it's pretty well covered there, right, Bronx? I would just say, I mean, beyond the obvious of it's the opener and why wouldn't you be fired up, this game should mean everything right off the bat to this O-line when you think about the last three years against Minnesota and Minnesota basically beating Nebraska in, in sort of alleyway fights, ugly type of games, but but sort of winning the type of with the type of formula that rule talks about winning with going forward for the Huskers. And so this group, I know they're not going directly against Minnesota's O line, um, but Minnesota's got two or three changes they have going, including at their center spot where they lost a guy to the NFL draft. And so they've got to answer those questions. And as Brunts laid out, well, Nebraska's ha- has the veterans here. You, you, this has to be a game where if I'm in that room, I'm like, we got to send a message here right off the bat that th- it's going to be a little bit different going forward. And um, there's no reason with the experience they have why they can't um, start to start to chop some wood, at least uh, in in making that happen. All right, let's take a quick time out and we will dive into the defensive side of the ball when we come back here on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Defense time. All right, we're jumping over to the defensive line. We're just going to do the uh, the entirety of the defensive line, um, entirety of the linebackers, entirety of the defensive backs, and then the special teams. You can break it out as you want inside those position groups. I believe we're to Michael Brunts. What do we know about Nebraska's 2023 defensive line? We know Matt Rule's excited about the future, but what do we know about this upcoming season and who the Huskers will have? In the involved up front, yeah, they feel like they've got six or seven that they can lean on right now, and I, I think probably f- you could get a starting four basically with an or at one of the end spots. It, Nash, Ty Robinson, and then kind of that or of Blaze Gunnerson or Cam Linhart um, at, at the end spot. Beyond that, I you know I think they feel good about some of the depth they've got. Uh, to be able to move guys through, um, you know, that, that's a spot where they added a few transfers. And, you know, I, I think it's a group that's come along and, and you know, they, they played well in fall camp um, in, in the scrimmages. I think the the 
kind of attacking nature of the the front has helped um, that that group as well, rather than kind of doing the, the stand up dancing bear stuff that you've seen in the past. Um, so I, I think they feel okay there. I, I think you know if they were kind of getting greedy, they might like another guy or two to enter that mix. But I, I think they've been pleasantly surprised with how that group's come along, and, and like you said, they they really like the freshman group. And, and what they can kind of develop. I that that would be a group that I would not be surprised if you see a few more younger guys play a game or two, but but keep the red shirt too if they're if they're ready by the end of the season. BC, what do we still need to learn about this defensive line? Well, I think it's one of the most uh, crucial parts to deciding how this season goes is actually what we don't know, and it's how basically guys four through eight or five through eight, however you want to put it. Um, how reliable are they? Like, can they hold up in this league? Cause they're going to get their snaps. You're going to give, you know, Raquan Buckley really hasn't played as a Husker um, and maybe one game, but he's going to be a guy like maybe he has to give you 20, 25 snaps on a given night and maybe right off the bat. And they really like him. Um, and that he could be an example with this staff of, this is a player who sort of was getting lost in the weeds, but they were able to develop him and find stuff with conditioning that helps him. So Ruquan Buckley is a really a, a face of that, like getting a second opportunity and what can he do with it um, with this staff. But then there's other guys like that aren't talked about much, but like a, a Jacob Herbeck, you know, like he, he's a walk on who hasn't played and he might, you know, get some snaps. There's a Prince will, um, who definitely had a good spring, got banged up a little bit um, in camp. So I don't know what the latest is there, but um, can can he make some headway and maybe burn through his red shirt and help him out? And then they do, they do truly love that freshman class, which I think they should. Um, but as you guys know, it's very hard to to get a lot out of players that are 18 years old on the D-line in the Big Ten the first year. But you wonder if like a Van Poppel, or somebody like that can pop in for four games. What's Elijah Judy give you? I mean, there's all, we could just go through the list. There's a bunch of guys. Like if they, they need like two or three of those guys though, to give you a little something as this year goes along. I don't really have a follow-up question here. I just want to make a, a statement. This is by far the group that I'm most excited with the transition to Matt rule. Like I, I just feel like his experience and his track record with defensive linemen is pretty strong. Uh, and I I really like, I mean, before he even had the quote on Tuesday night about the, the young defensive linemen, I mean, I I just think you look at what they did coming here um, and the, the freshmen they've stacked up and then sort of the early returns of Lenhart and Prince Will, then you're bringing in guys like Riley Van Poppel and um, – Others uh, blanking on the the kid from Philadelphia or not Philadelphia Harrisburg, uh, I cannot think it's, of his name. Vincent Carroll Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, so they they've got some really intriguing pieces down the line, and I like the idea of getting some guys. Uh, they can play up to their four games, you know, throughout the year as they sort of show that they deserve some more playing time. Uh, where where do you guys come in with the defensive line? Are you are you cautiously optimistic? Are you like me and you're just head over heels on the idea of it. Like what, what are your thoughts here? Because the other thing is we haven't even scratched the surface of the best football for Ty Robinson or Nash Hutmacher or Blaze Gunnarsson. And these were three guys that were brought specifically to Nebraska to be difference makers on the defensive line. 
it's it's a little bit like the offensive line in the way that like you have guys that are kind of known entities that have played a ton of football and have that, stayed here in the program too. Right, but you're you're just ho- the hope is is that this coaching staff can just get that much more out of them, and you know they look different physically this year. I think that group more than any, I I've been struck by how different they look with the change in conditioning style and the way they did things in the off season. But I, I'm uh, I I would go arrow up on those guys in my mind. I I'm, I'm intrigued by them. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm head over heels quite like you are just because like Brian, I thought Brian laid it out pretty well that like five through seven, that that's where the concern is and whether or not you have the, the true depth to, you know, be able to run guys in and out without having to rely on, you know, Huttmacher and Robinson for 80 snaps a game. PC. Yeah. I, uh, I feel pretty good. I'm encouraged uh, with that group compared to what I thought I would be. And that's even with, and this should be said, like Brody Tagaloa was going to play this year, um, not available now. And so um, they've had a setback or two and and they, I think have been over able to overcome it. The reason I'm somewhat encouraged is I just think the defense is having a really good camp from just how you pick up on things. And when Tony white is up there, um, and he's speaking about his crew. It, it feels like a guy who thinks he maybe has something, you know, not like it's going to all be perfect right off the bat, but he's, he's liking where, uh, where it is headed. Um, I think if you wanted to buy stock in a position group, I would buy the stock in the deal. I'd buy a lot of stock in the D line right now. And I'm not saying that for just this, this season, I, they could have their growing pains, but I think in two or three years, um, they've got a lot of guys who you would be hopeful. That's a pretty stout bunch to deal with. Absolutely. All right. Moving to linebackers, a position that I think boasts the most single digit players on Nebraska's current roster based on the new uh, hierarchy that Matt rule has created with single digit numbers. BT, what do we know about Nebraska's linebacker room? Um, we know Reimer, um, has kind of emerged, I think, is that dude. And you could say, well, that would have been obvious, but I didn't, I didn't know that before the spring, like how certain guys would adapt to the the new staff and, and who, and you heard so much about John Bullock, who is going to play a lot that I started to wonder like, okay, what does that mean for some of these veterans? But Reimer has definitely um, shown this staff, like he, he's a dude who, who should be one of the top guys. And, um, I think Nick Henrich has made a nice comeback. We know that too. And you got to give him credit. He, he's at least put himself in the, in the mix and uh, earned a single digit there and is going to be a good team leader. And then we know at the Jack spot that there's three guys. I kind of think MJ Sherman's the, the head of that crew, but you got Jamari Butler and you got chief borders. And um, that's sort of the, uh, the 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 joker position and called the jack but i it's the position where they can move that guy up to the defensive front and do a lot of fun things with him and so if if this defense is going to take off like uh, they hope it does i think that position is going to have a large say on on whether that's true or not brunt what do we still need to learn at linebacker ahead of 2023 yeah i i think the big one is you know, everybody's, you know, always asking about pass rush. Um, 
you know, that that Jack position is going to be really big for that um, and, and kind of how they do things. It feels like in this defense with the way that they're going to mix and match that linebackers are going to have opportunities to, you know, get in the backfield, make some, make some TFLs and, and sacks. And I, I, I do wonder, you know, if this group is up for that. I mean, I think the defense fits Luke Reimer really well. I think it probably fits MJ Sherman really well, but um, you're going to need one of those guys to be pretty productive in terms of you know, disruptive plays and, and things like that. So we still don't know if that's going to be the case. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think they have, you know, players that they feel pretty good about their veteran guys. Um, you know, I, like you said, I think Henrich coming back pretty strongly from that was a really bad knee injury um, that, that bodes well as well. So, um, you know, I, I think they've got guys that they can move in and out um, and, and, and feel okay about the production there. But um, I, I think you just need to see a, probably a little bit more from the the, the pass rush and, and those disruptive type plays that, that are going to be really important for, you know, when, when Matt Rule talks about, playing close games, turnover differential, that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of that's going to have to come from the linebacker group, I think, in terms of making plays and, and uh, getting off the field. Um, which which linebacker which linebacker BC are you, like, most excited to sort of see in this 3-3-5 iteration? Um, honestly, it's the Jack – I mean, it's the Jack guys. It's it's those MJ Sherman, Jamari Butler guys, and if if – if they can uh, create plays behind the line of scrimmage. Um, But I would also say Bullock just because we've never really seen him play defense and they've talked so much about how he was one of the best players in the spring. And he, I mean, he could start out there at Minnesota. I don't know. Um, So just, just the fact that here's a guy you've heard so much about after practices um, who's a local guy, pretty good story, sort of like Grimer came up as a walk-on and, and here he is now ready to be a, a key contributor. That That's a guy I'm really um, interested to see what that looks like. Same question to you, Brent. I blanked on the question. What linebacker are you most excited oh, to see? In yeah, this I mean, I, I think I'd probably go Reimer. Look at your show now. Come on. <laughs> I'd go Reimer. I think. I, I think it fits him well. I think you know he he's been a very productive backer during his time at Nebraska. Maybe he probably hasn't gotten to do, um, but I, I think I think I'm eager to see how he you know gets sideline to sideline in this defense. I think he's going to be a really key piece for it. Yeah, I I would say Reimer as well, um, but I also want to mention and and BC did this too. But Henrich, I this is a guy who's a top 100 player recruit. And we haven't seen the best version of him as a high school player. He was really, really good. And I think there's a lot more to his game than what we've seen at Nebraska so far. So I, I am intrigued to see how he kind of fits too. And if athletically he can hang, if he's asked to cover, if he's asked to do these different things. So I, I've got a lot of intrigue as to what this version of Nick Henrich can do in, in Nebraska's defense. Moving on to the defensive back room, the last position here on the, the defensive side of things. I believe we are back to Michael Brunts. What do we know about Nebraska's defensive backfield this upcoming season? Uh, we know they've got a lot of options. We know that they, I think they like that group. I, I think they do. Um, you know, a guy that's emerged that 
would not be surprised to see him in the starting lineup is Deshaun Singleton. Um, you know, he's a guy that Matt Rules talked a lot about. And, you know, with, with them needing three safeties uh, at, at times, I mean, that I think he's going to be one of them. Um, Isaac Gifford, they, they can't stop talking about um, back there as well. He's going to be another big piece. So, you know, the they also have some versatility, thanks in part, I guess, to the way that, uh, Travis Fisher recruited as defensive backs, but they can move Malcolm Hartzog around. Um, you've got Tommy Hill who's been injured, but that they love what he can do uh, at some spot back there. And you've got Quentin Newsom who's played a lot of Big Ten football. So there's a lot to uh, to appreciate about that group. And you know, I, I, I think I think this system should um, fit some of these guys pretty easily. Um, you know, a, a guy like Gifford that's probably more of that hybrid type player that uh, they're going to be able to take advantage of, of his athleticism a little bit more with this defense. PC, what uh, what are you looking to learn still? What do you still need to, to find out about this defensive back room? How much they actually rotate back there? Because I feel like um, through the history when you cover these this program, and I, I think this is probably commonplace at a lot of schools, it doesn't feel like in the secondary you you shuffle guys in and out as much, especially at those safety spots. So um, when he talks about playing up the 25 guys on defense, I wonder how much um, when it's, you know, a three-point game, how much you're really uh, going beyond your five or six core guys. So that'll be interesting to me if they do any grand shuffling there at all or not. Tommy Hill um, – I love his story this off season, but I think it he's, he's sort of like, all right, show it in the games now, you know, because that last off season, there was sort of a similar buildup to him and he kind of struggled early on. Um, seems like he has his confidence back from what we've heard and um, has been a great teammate and they, they like what he's about. So um, we all know that he was a big time recruit um, and has a lot of gifts, um, physical gifts. So if he takes off, that opens up a whole lot of uh, options for you because you can move Hartzog all over the place. And that, I guess that's the other thing, where exactly you set Hartzog down. He's got to play somewhere. He seems like he's been working at safety. Um, is he one of those guys? You know, Do you have a singleton, um, Gifford, Hartzog safety crew? And then um, you know Newsom and Hill at your corners? Not, not bad. That doesn't seem bad when you say it out loud. And then there's Omar Brown, who's a veteran guy you could turn to for another snap. So those are kind of the six I think of, and we just don't know if there could be another wild card who pops up at some point, including one of the freshmen, because I know they like Ethan Nation and uh, Dwight Boodle too. Yeah, so last year, and there's more than just these three, but these three were sort of thought to be big additions for the secondary, and none of them really quite had the mark on the year that you would expect. And I'm talking about Omar Brown, Tommy Hill, and Deshaun Singleton. Brunch, if you had to pick one of those guys to bet on for 2023, who are you taking? Singleton. I, th- I okay. think they they feel like they've really got something there. Um, I mean, when you hear Matt Rule talk about him, um, th- there's almost a, uh, a curiosity on his part, as to, I think, as to why he didn't play last season. And, you know, I Miles Farmer's situation was a big talking point during the the during fall camp and his eventual transfer, I don't, I don't think that they're really sweating too much over there. Um, you know, losing a multi-year starter in part because of the fact that they have Singleton there. So I'll, uh, 
I'll save my worst bet of the week for special teams, and I feel like I feel like Singleton's a guy that you can really bet on. All right, BC, between Omar Brown and Tommy Hill, which of those two would you bet on? Uh, I I I would I guess I'd say Tommy Hill just from I think he could have um, a larger role. I don't know for sure if that's going to be the case, but I, Tommy Hill could be a starter, and I'm not sure if Omar Brown is right off the bat as you kind of think about the Singleton storyline and how he seems to be taking a space. Um, but Tommy Hill was, I know that Travis Fisher, when he was here sometimes had quotes about guys that were sort of in the sky about what they could be. And, and they sounded good in the off season, but you wondered, can that really be the case? But if you go back to what he used to say about Tommy Hill's skill set and the type of corner he thought he could be. And he was just like sure as can be that he's like an NFL player. And so I actually, I know exactly what he's saying. I think he's a guy who has those type of capabilities within him. If he can harness some of the right stuff. And they, it seems like they think he is Um, because when you talk to like Trey Palmer last year, you ask him, who's the toughest guy to go against. He would say Tommy Hill. And so, um, you know, Trey Palmer's doing all right for himself right now, it seems like. So uh, I, I think he he's, does have a huge ceiling, and it's just like how close to that can he get right now? Um, it would be a big thing if if he becomes the next just solid shutdown guy over there for Nebraska. My, my takeaway there is that BC thinks Tommy Hill has more upside than Sauce Gardner by using Trey Palmer as an example. <laughs> that's exactly right yeah <laughs> did, I, did i follow that line of logic perfectly there sauce sauce ain't got no sauce is what i was saying wow going after sauce gardner that's a <laughs> i think that's, sauce that's an interesting one well uh we'll have to we'll I'm get sure, his comments later, i'm sure he so. listens to the pod yeah <laughs> man he and jack Stoll used to listen together all right we'll finish up special teams here Michael Brunts. Actually, no, we're back to we're back to Brian. It's it's hard to keep in order when you try to do this. Uh, we're back to Brian. What do we know about Nebraska special teams 2023? Got a really good punter. Um, he's he's Buscini, I think, can be one of the best in the league in the country. I I believe that. He because of what he did at Montana, I still go back to that. And if if he's not playing half the season on one leg, um, I'd like to see what that looks like. So protect him, uh, please. Um I, I like Buscini too. He, I like guys. He's a married guy, like playing in college. I think it, I just think he's got a cool storyline with that. Um, beyond that, I think we know that Billy Kemp is the punt returner and um, sounds like Emmett Johnson might be the kick returner that I guess that could fall into Brunson's category. That was mentioned though, that he could be the kick returner. Uh, but Kemp is definitely the punt returner. And I think they believe uh, that he's, can break a big one or two back there and they like his experience. I also think we know they're going to be aggressive. I would not be shocked at all if this special teams unit of Nebraska pulls some tricks, you know, early in the season too. It, would, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And one other thing we know, they're going to try really hard to block a punt the first couple of weeks, which sounds captain obvious, but I remember fully saying like, if you can get a block punt, like early in September or something, it changes the whole dynamic because people have to think about that and it can help your return game and it, it all plays off each other. So that's going to be a big deal for them to go after and get one early on. Now, BC, when you talk about Nebraska's kick returning, are we expecting that they have the ability to get past the 21-yard line? 
I don't know. I think that's a question for the press conference Friday, actually. It, it probably was a question earlier in camp. I don't think rules ever been asked about like his philosophy in this age of how much you should fair catch it with the kick no. kickoff game or if, or if they give a lot of thought to that. Um, but I'd be curious what they say. Would you phrase it as sort of Parker Gabriel would? You know, they give you the ball at the 25. <laughs> just just set it up. <laughs> it's one of those things where a guy, a uh, media guy, is not, he's just stating their opinion and not actually asking a question right. sort of thing. Yeah, we yeah. could do that. That could be good. All right, Bruns, take it home. What don't we know about Nebraska's special teams for 2023? We don't officially know the uh, the the kicker yet. That's, do we that's unofficially the, uh, know? Are you guys exchanging texts without me? Not officially. Um, You're I, not officially exchanging texts without me. No, just on the side. Um, I I would bet oh, – this this is my wuss bet. I'd go Alvano on that one. But I think that that is a really important decision that they've got to get right if they're going to be playing these close games and and uh, you know needing needing those points um, desperately in these close games. So – the other thing we don't know, the kick return question is interesting. Is an interesting one. I mean, yeah. as much as they, they they mentioned Emmett Johnson, he's a, he's in the mix back there. Garcia Castaneda was one. That that was where they were using Ethan Nation a little bit, and I don't think he's he's necessarily ready for the the bright lights at corner, but he's at least made a mark. I think as a potential special teams guy, and. Like Brian said, they're going to be aggressive. Um, you know, if they can find the right piece there, maybe you, you do let a guy bring it out and, and risk, you know, getting it at the 21 instead of the 25. But I, I do think uh, that that the kicking piece of it, they've got to get right. And it's it's a slightly concerning that in two of the three scrimmage weekends, he mentioned that the kickers did not have good days, either of them. So – that that's something to follow early in the season. Is, is Micro didn't have a good spring game either. No, so th- that's that's an important piece of the puzzle that uh, maybe we need to ask about again on Friday. Here's a question: If all things are equal between Bleak Road and Alvana, like it's been sort of mediocre, um, who would you put out there in game one? Bleak Road, <laughs> yeah. I, I go Bleak Road because then you kind of can wait and see if he struggles and you go to Alvano. I think it's a lot harder to start with Alvano. He struggles and then you go to Bleak Road and then you kind of have this situation of is there a uh, confidence crisis and interest in Alvano? I mean, yeah, kickers, I, I don't mean this as people, but the situation is weird. Like nobody wants to touch it. Like you just want to insert the kicker and let him do his job and then not have to think about it. And I think the the safest way, if, if they're truly equal, you start with Bleak Road because it's a lot harder to make that flip the other way around. Do we need to start combing Haymarket restaurants to see if there's any kickers around? Is, is it to that level? Do you want to split the, the alphabet into thirds and we all just call, you know, <laughs> based on our, our letters? I'm going. I'm just going to Lead Belly. They've, they've had success there before. You go back to that well. I mean, I, I don't know. Two kickers coming out of the same downtown <laughs> restaurant? That seems unlikely. Seems unlikely. All right. We have the leg uh, strength in their, in their servers. Well, might be part of their training program. We have about uh, four minutes here before we have our longest podcast of the summer. 
Ted Carter, Nebraska's systems president, will no longer be Nebraska's systems president. He's moving on to the president role at Ohio State. This news caught people off guard, uh, both within the uh, within the university and externally as well. Brian, how big is this move as it relates to Nebraska football? I think it's a bit, I think it matters quite a bit. Um, it's one of those things you could push to the side and say, I'll, I'll put my attention elsewhere, which was what we're going to do. Cause we're going to have the football games in front of us, but they've, they've got to get the, <laughs> they've definitely got to nail that higher. I think uh, moving ahead of someone who has the ability. I, and I know some people roll their eyes at this cause they'll think there's too much emphasis on athletics and all this stuff, but at, at, it's a job where you've got to have someone who has some understanding of how big of I, Hank Bounds always used to say the football program and that athletic department's the doorstep to the university. And whether people like that or not, I completely agree with it. And uh, when there's momentum over there, there's momentum within the whole university. And again, we can have a discussion about if that's a bad thing or a good thing, but it's true. And so you've got to have somebody that understands that. I think Ted Carter did, and he was instrumental with Trev Alberts, I think, wanting to come here and then was instrumental in Rule wanting to come here. Um, I'm not saying when I got Rule had he not been here because I think he had a really strong connection with Trev too. But, uh, I mean, you heard you heard that admiration they had for each other, and uh, Carter would always talk about the Navy-Temple game in 2016 and how Temple just, you know, beat the doors off of them in the trenches and um it you want your head coach to feel good about the chain of command because how many times whether coaches have succeeded or failed here have we heard them talk about you've got to have the leadership component right and feel like everybody's on the same page and if you don't it's just a mess and so that that's why this is going to be such a crucial hire so right now it's a it's it is a concern while it's uh, up in the air yeah, uh, another podcast idea for us to just go back and try to figure out how Nebraska has become a beacon of instability, um, you know, in just about every facet and almost all of its high-paid positions through the university as well over the last few years. But we don't have that kind of time. Brunt, I'll let you finish up. Any thoughts on Ted Carter uh, and where this sort of leaves Nebraska? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a loss. And then, you know, you, you factor that, you know, you're going to have – you have a new chancellor at the university you have, we'll have a new NU system president. Um, and, and also, you know, you have to go back to this summer when there was some question about, you know, moving the responsibilities of who reports to whom and, um, you know, the NU president having a, a bigger role in athletics. I mean, I, I think with, with the, the, the way that conferences are shifting now, I think it's important to have, clear leadership and a voice in that room again it's it's the the presidents and chancellors that run things um that, that can advocate for your university i mean I, I think everybody feels pretty settled in the big 10 but you, you know you need to kind of solidify that spot and, and make sure that you you know have a voice in what what's becoming more crowded room uh in the big 10 and i think i think ted carter was a respected voice i think you know, when he actually, you know, weighed in on things, I think it mattered. Um, so, you know, that I, I think he was kind of that rare guy that that understood the athletic side of it, but also, you know, kind of got the academic side of it too. So that they need to, to get that higher um, 
made and, and, and to find the right person that can kind of do both. I, I guess, obviously the academic side rises to more uh, of a priority, but the athletic piece is part of it too. All right. Anything else you guys want to add? Anything that we didn't get to um, on what we know and what we don't know? Actually, as a bonus one, I just want to throw this in real quickly. Um, I guess BC got the last one. So Brunson will get this one. What do we know about this coaching staff going into 2023? I think we know that they're pulling in the same direction. And I don't think my sense is that there's not a lot of, you know, ego involved with this, the, the staff. Um, I think part of that is, is just the way it's made up. The fact that they've been together for so long. Um, we'll see if, you know, that, how that plays out when you're in tight games and, you know, need to make decision, good decisions, but um, they know who they are. And I think they kind of know what the other guy is going to do uh, that's coaching next to him. So I think there's probably value in that, but um, that, that, that also falls into the, you know, we'll see how this goes um, in that, in that opener. BC, what do we still need to learn yeah. besides everything? Yeah. I mean, it's all the things. I guess I feel pretty good about it because of what we've heard about their progress as fall camp, but it, it is an interesting storyline when you step back from the trees a bit and you think like, okay, the defense is led by Tony white and he's the one guy who, um, you know, really wasn't part of the, the rule tree of coaches. And so there has been, um, this buildup of having to, you know, get on the same page, I'm sure with stuff over the last eight months. And it seems like that's gone pretty well from what we've heard, which you wouldn't expect it here otherwise, but it, it is encouraging when you hear the defense is playing so well, but how does that look in the season? You know, when you're in a, on a game day and things are, uh, you know, you're, you're under the heat lamp, so to speak. I think what helps it out is, you know, Tony White, just, he's, he's kind of a, good natured guy. And I just feel like he's got the type of personality that's so like um, he's affable. And I think it can really connect with guys and has done a good job. So that's probably going to help him. But I guess if you're searching for something like, what don't you know, it's how, how they come together on game days and and how that works in the headsets and all that stuff, which we won't know anyway, but um, we'll know somewhat by the play, I guess. Absolutely. All right. Great stuff, guys. As always, you can catch all of our content at Husker247.com. Plenty of things going on as we get prepared for the start of the 2023 season. And the next time you hear our voices, it'll be the three of us joined by a special guest as the Husker 24-7 Hypecast returns for yet another season in which we will get you hyped, possibly for Nebraska to win football games and quite possibly for them to even play in December at a potentially remote location or an open-air press box in New York City. What about January? January could be on the table, but I think that they need to try to play a game in December somewhere first that isn't Rutgers before we uh, we start to worry about January. Is that fair? Championship week is what you're referring to. <laughs> yes. I'm referring to Nebraska representing the Big Ten West in its last year in Indianapolis as a massive underdog against uh, Penn State. That's who I have winning the conference this year, by the way. Nobody asked, but that's that's what I have. All right, so we'll be back uh, next week with the Husker 24-7 Hypecast, and uh, be sure to check out everything over the weekend. There'll be some media availability on Friday and Monday and Tuesday as well, so there'll be plenty of content. 
leading up to next Thursday's game against Minnesota. For Michael Brunson, Brian Christopherson, I'm Mike Schaefer. We're Husker 24-7. We'll catch you next time.